Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you'll be uplifted, empowered and revived by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ram Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now let's get into this week's message. today and um, it's a bit of, a, of an out-of-the-box format um, basically I'm just gonna sit here on this stool and listen to Josh preach um, I just wanted a front row seat um, no Josh and I just got back from the US and um, from Asbury University uh, where there is an incredible outpouring of God's Spirit and so because we are um, desperate for God uh, not only individually, but corporately, we, we just could not miss out on what God's doing, especially because uh, the emphasis and really the group of people who's facilitating what, what's happening at Asbury are university students, and um, that is our heartbeat youth, university students and young adults, and you're going to find out more about why even as we start to unpack this a bit. So we wanted to take some time today to step away from kind of our normal format where um, there would be a teaching or a preaching in this space. And we're going to reflect. We're going to reflect on our trip, what we, what we learned um, from being there, what we feel like that means for us. And, um, and that includes you. That's not just us as a church, an institutional church. That's us as, as God's people. What does that mean for us individually, but corporately as a community of people who are believing for God to do what only he can do in, in our city and in our region? So can I open up with prayer? Is that all right? Let's, let's pray together. Father, uh, we're here for you. Uh, we're here because we know that everything we have has come from you. Um, and all that we're doing, we want to do for you. Um, and I thank you for what you are already doing in Manchester. And I pray that today you would give us the eyes to see what you're up to. Father, we don't want, um, we don't want to ask you to bless our agenda. Father, we want to be a part of your agenda. And so today I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears to, to hear, to see, to sense, to comprehend what your agenda is in this city, in this nation, so that we can say yes to what you're up to, what you're on about. In Jesus' name, and if you if you believe it, say Amen. amen. So, um, if you're new to Ramp Church, um, welcome. I'm so thankful that you choose to spend your Sunday morning with us. We don't take that lightly. And my name's Joe, and along with my wife Stacy and so many other um, awesome leaders, we help lead this beautiful community that God is in and and, and moving through. And um, Josh is. Uh, is part of a, a ministry called 24-7, and he is their youth director, um, but more than that, he's a friend, and I'm so thankful to be on this journey with him. So um, so just as a show of hands, so I know kind of where we're at in our knowledge, who's heard of what is happening at Asbury University in Kentucky? Okay, yeah, is, is there anybody who's kind of yet to learn about that? Um, let me see. Yeah, a few hands around. Great. So 
basically, um, Asbury University is in a tiny town in a primarily rural state called Kentucky, uh, which is in southeast um, America. And there, the, it's a small university, about 1,600 students. The town's about 6,000 people. So it is a very small place. But yeah, yeah, but two, two weeks ago, roughly two weeks ago, they had a chapel. It's, it's a Christian university. They had a chapel, midweek chapel, which they have every single week. And after the chapel, the students who were gathered for the chapel were just so impacted by what God was doing in that space, they didn't want to leave. And some of them who did go back to their classes felt so moved and compelled to return, they asked their, their professors, can we, can we go back? <laughs> can we actually go back? We feel like something's happening there. Um, so the professors allowed them to do that. They go back. Uh, a few hours later, double the amount of students was there. And this continued to grow to, to where literally hundreds and then thousands of students were gathered um, and young people were gathered. By the time that Josh and I were there this past weekend, across the weekend, about 50,000 people um, were there through, through the weekend. When we arrived, the line of people um, just trying to get into the building wrapped around city blocks. I mean, it's, it's, even, it's hard to even describe the way the lines were just wrapped to the point that they bled over into five other buildings on site. Um, this was the level of the hunger for the presence of God. So they, would, they were live streaming what was happening in that main chapel to five other buildings. People were gathered, a huge mass of people were gathered outside, outdoors, where they, they had um, a video stream and audio. Um, and people were just in groups worshiping, praying for each other. And so we kind of walk up in the middle of, of this, this environment. And um, I want to tell a bit of the story leading up in just, just a minute because that alone is, is really neat in the way God can lead us and teaches all of us um, how, how to hear God's voice. But, um, but this is a move of God that has not, didn't just start with students, but it's, it's really been stewarded um, by Gen Z. And 25s and younger is, is really, so 80, 90% of what's happening is worship. It's, it's, it's mainly led by students, by young people who are leading the space. They're reading scripture. They're giving testimonies. And, um, and we, we walked into a place where I think there were several distinctions about it. One was just the sheer magnetism and the hunger in the space. People were desperate to find what God had for them. And when that kind of hunger is in a space, not only do people drive long distances. Um, on the second day we were there, I was next to somebody who, who said, we got here at four this morning. We drove from Wisconsin, which was like eight hours. It's like four states away. Um, it was a man and his daughter. And when people are, I, I, I saw literally people carrying kids who were like limp to the altars, you know, for, for prayer. Um, there was non-stop altar calls. Um, so the altars were, were open. People shoulder to shoulder praying for people, um, praying for all sorts of needs. So one thing was just the sheer hunger, the magnetism in the room um, for what God was doing. And the second thing was the effortlessness of, um, of, of what the way God was answering prayers. So they would give, they would give I'm just giving you an overview and then we're going to dive deep. Um, but they would give altar calls 
to, to, for salvation, for people to say yes to Jesus. And, and there wasn't anything charismatic or sophisticated or catchy or even appealing <laughs> about the call. It's kind of like, do you want to give your life to Jesus? It's kind of like that. And all over the room, people's, people's just standing up, standing up. Some weeping, just weeping. And there's nothing about the environment that makes you weepy. Um, as a church leader who we spend a lot of time thinking about environments and, um, and, and how people interact in spaces and how engaging a space is, it was almost offensively simple. I didn't leave with a list of things to do. More, I left more with a list of things to undo. And the, a lady next to me, one salvation call, people are standing up weeping. A lady literally doubles over weeping into the lap of the person that was next to her. She was that overcome with what God was doing in the room. They would give altar calls um, for, or not altar calls, they would just give a call. We just, they would just sense it on their heart. I just feel like God, God wants, there are people here who are dealing with depression or suicidal ideation. And now it's mainly students in the room, and God, God wants to impact you in that place. And no shame. Most people were seated just like this. No shame. People all over the room standing up. Just standing up. And just weeping in the power in the presence of God. And then they would call for testimonies. The only testimonies they would allow are 25-year-olds and younger. And people would line up for testimonies. And, I mean, the first testimony when I was there, in the first service I was there, Josh got there the day before me. The first testimony I heard was, I came here and I was, um, I was completely absorbed in the world of darkness. Um, I was into witchcraft. I was a witch. I, and in this place, I gave my life to Jesus, and light has flooded my heart and my mind and my life. And, and again, it's a very calm, simple place, a calm, simple thing that God's doing there. And we're going to share more of, about what God's doing there. But I, for those of you that maybe you haven't heard or maybe you have heard and you're just wondering, I wanted to give a quick overview um, and the people continue to come. Now, they had two services a day that were open to the public, but 24-7 students are in prayer and worship. 24-7, around the clock. And nobody's requiring them. Nobody's asking them to do that. <laughs> and if you've ever been in student ministry, I've been in student ministry for over 20 years, um, you can't make a student do that. <laughs> okay? Okay, yeah. I wish you could. And the other thing is you can't make a service... You can't make a service enjoyable or engaging enough to make that happen. There's only one thing that can make a young person do that. It's, it's, it's something from another world that is more real than anything they've ever experienced that's welling up on the inside of them that's compelling them to do the thing they know they were born to do. They're finding what real life is all about in that space. And it's spreading and it's perpetuating what God's doing in that place to now. Other people are coming. Why were there 50,000 people? Because other people are coming to see what is God doing in that space. What is God doing here? And so Josh and I are not going to share like three keys to revival. <laughs> if one of the things I learned about um, while we were there, it's, it is not quite, um, it's not quite that, that way. But I do believe there are things we can do um, to remove space for God to work. And I think there are things we can do to add space for God to work. Now, God's not on anybody else's agenda, so he does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. But 
we can be people who say, I'm ready. There's a verse that sometimes confuses people um, that is many are called but few are chosen. Have you heard that verse? I remember Manning Leifscher explaining that verse one time. I loved his explanation. He said, um, that verse is like when you're getting ready to move house and you send out a text to all your friends going, hey, um, I'm getting ready to move. We're, we're moving next Friday. Anybody available to help me load the van? That's many you're called. The two of your friends that get back and say, yeah, I'll come help. Those are the two that are chosen. Does that make sense? The call goes out, but our posture towards the call and the one who's calling determines whether we show up at the moving van or not. And so we can't make God call us, but what we can do is we can make sure he has our number and make sure that when he texts, my schedule's clear, baby. (laughs) Whatever you want, I am ready. And so I want want us to talk a little bit uh, about this. The first thing I want to say is I want to tell you, Ramp Church, and I'm telling myself this too. I've been reminding myself this daily, multiple times through the day since I got back. Revival is possible. Revival is possible. Maybe some of you, um, and I'm not really concerned about um, what we call Asbury Revival, Outpouring Awakening. People get like lost in the semantics. It's, it is one of the things Facebook has, has discipled us into, is like arguing about stuff that does not matter. Um, God's Spirit's moving, call it whatever you want to, okay? So God's Spirit's moving in Asbury, and if we want that, that is possible. And there's a few reasons why I think we don't, sometimes we don't think that's possible. Number one, we don't know it's possible. So we've just lived in this church routine thinking that the height of Christianity or, or the, 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 like, the, uh, where, we, where we go when we're Christians is just showing up to church on Sunday morning. And that's it. Just attending. Um, and if we're really extreme about it, I pray every once in a while and I go to a ramp church community. <laughs> like, I am extreme. But the people who are just off their rockers a bit, they lead churches like Joe and Stacy. They're just like they're just past the sanity level. But for most of us, just 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 going to church, that's enough. But or maybe we don't think revival is possible because it's just a historical thing. And it's back when people were more religiously had more religious sensibilities and they didn't have things like modern science, which tells us that God isn't real and all, you know. They were dumber back then, and so they needed revivals. Whatever, the, whatever we think, whatever the stories we tell ourselves. But when you walk into a place where it's literally happening, where marketing can't do this, live streaming can't do this, nothing against live streaming or marketing, we do both of those. But where what's happening is greater than the sum of its parts, where as Stacy said, revivals when you put in this much and God gives you this much, Instead of you putting in this money, you're like, God, thank you, Lord. We prepared for months for that, and someone said, I think I feel better about God. All right. Revival, that tips a bit. And I think another reason why maybe we stop believing in revival is because sometimes we start calling things revivals that aren't revivals. We use that word everywhere. I see albums sometimes called revival. I'm like, 
this album is Revival? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's just a group of songwriters. Maybe they're great, but putting songs... I mean, does that make sense? We start calling just good church Revival. And I'm not saying good church isn't good. It is. But what we stepped into can never be described as good church. I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's certainly way beyond good church. And so the first thing I want to tell you, Ramp Church, is it's possible, and it's not just historical. It's for now, for today. And what if you changed the, what if that reality changed the way you attended this building? I sometimes, I, I, you know, most of the time, I'm not happy that we don't have our own building. Right? It's why you're cramped in your row and why you couldn't figure out where to park today and, you know, all these things. But sometimes I'm glad about it because it helps us remember church is not about a building anyway. What if you came into a space not just because you're supposed to? What if we attend the conference this weekend not just because it has our name on the conference or because Joe and Stacy asked me to or because it's free or because I don't have anything else to do, but because there's something in me that goes revival is possible? Like for today, like for now. Many are called, few are chosen. I want to be chosen. I want to be part of what God's doing. And I want to show up where he may be showing up as well. What if that drove what we did? Revival's possible. And it's in fact a current possibility. But there's also, I think, a lesson in, um, in following God's voice. And Josh, I'd love for you to kind of share a bit of your story. And, and my story is kind of in that as well. But leading up to Asbury, and um, it's been amazing, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, over Christmas, I felt the Holy Spirit draw me to a scripture, uh, Exodus 33, 11. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, it will come up on the screen, hopefully, as well. Um, Exodus 33, 11, um, just over Christmas, God just really highlighted this to me, and it says this, um, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, and these are the words that stood out to me the most, a young man did not depart from the tabernacle. And I wrote on the bottom of my Bible, Lord, raise up a generation that never wants to leave the tent. And it became a bit of a verse for me for the year and um, put it, did what every, you know, young person would do, put it on my Instagram straight away. And um, (laughs) what was interesting was a youth pastor um, across the city from here over in Stockport messaged me and he said, that's also my verse for this year. Wow. His name was also Josh. <laughs> so I thought, well, I better text Josh Guest about it too. <laughs> Get all the Joshes together and let's raise up a generation of young people that don't want to leave the tent. Come on. Didn't realize six weeks later, there was going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Asbury University where a group of young people yeah, come on. didn't want to leave the presence of the Lord. And um, one of um, my favorite things that uh, our friend James Ladderin on the front row says is, um, God will offend your flesh to reveal your heart. 
And there's been a few people negative about what's going on in Asbury and cynical about it. And I just wonder how far we've fallen as a church that when there's a group of young people who don't want to stop praying and worshiping, that anybody even has an ounce of negativity to say about it. How can that be right? This is the picture that we have in Exodus 33. The older man's coming in and out. The young people are staying in. What example are we setting to the next generation? There's many people asking, why are all the young people leaving their church? Well, one of the reasons is because they heard older people badmouth the church. In the car home from the church. Didn't like what pastor said today. We've got to be careful of the example that we're setting to the younger generation. And this isn't about um, excellent performance, as Joe has just been highlighting. This is about a heart level. This is about a heart hunger for God. This isn't necessarily about perfection. This is about pursuit. What is the pursuit of my heart? Where is my, my, my eye is set towards? And um, I was on the way to, uh, last week on a Thursday night, um, I was on the way to go to Budapest with a group of um, people who are helping to just try and contend for revival in Europe. Uh, a lot of them are doing that on university campuses. A lot of them doing roles similar to mine. Um, and I'm, I'm through security at Manchester Airport. Like, I am on the way to Budapest. <laughs> and I'm texting a friend of mine about something else. And I said, look, I'll give you a call a little bit later. I'm just about to fly out. And my friend texted me back and said, where are you flying to? And I was just typing out, I'm going to Budapest. And I felt the Holy Spirit just really gently, what felt like the Holy Spirit, speak to me. And the Holy Spirit said, where do you really want to go? And of course, I'd been reading the reports about Asbury, and I was thinking, I want to be in that room, Exodus 33:11. I want to see it in the flesh. Here I am going to Budapest. <laughs> and um, so I was like, well, Lord, I want to go to Asbury. And, and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, write that in the text to your friend, and then watch what I'll do. So I wrote in the text, I'm going to Budapest, but I want to go to Asbury. I'm telling you, two seconds after I click send, the lady who is leading this group of people going to Budapest calls me on my phone. I answer the phone. I'm like, hey, I'm just, you know, 45 minutes till my flight leaves. Can't wait to see you in Budapest. She's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're thinking about canceling the trip and going to Asbury. Are you in? I was like, okay, I must have heard the Holy Spirit. Um, Guys, I had no money for, to do this trip. Like America, to get out there within 12 hours is expensive. Um, my, you know, the, even the organization that I worked for had already paid my expenses back for the flight to Budapest. So I'm thinking all these logistical issues. And before I had a chance to think them all, all the way through, these words fell out of my mouth. Yes, I'm in. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you say something and you wish you could just grab the words and put them back in your mouth. I was like, I don't know, it's just faith talking on the inside of me. And I said, yeah, I'm in. Let's go for it. And uh, you know, you have to be escorted out of the airport if you're already through 
security. Like, there's a special way that they have. You can't just walk out again. Probably nobody's ever tried that before, but <laughs> I've actually done it twice in my life, but this is the crazy life that I live. Um, and so I'm outside of the airport now trying to get a visa and trying to book flights and all this kind of stuff. Um, I decided to set up a GoFundMe account to try and get some finances in so I could get it. Like, literally, we had no money to do this. And uh, as I'm setting up the GoFundMe account, the Holy Spirit says, you're going to raise all of the money that you set as your target by the time you reach your first destination in America. And I was like, I'm not going to raise a thousand pounds in a six-hour flight window. Like, that doesn't happen. And I'm just explaining to you all this journey because there's a reason for it. Um, And, you know, we ended up driving down to Heathrow, getting on the plane, all that kind of stuff. And as I got on the plane, I looked down at my GoFundMe account, and I'd raised all the money that I needed to get to Asbury. Like, I I was like, what is going on? And many of you gave in this room, so thank you for doing that. I mean, you guys were saying we were thinking about giving, and we saw the target was way over. (laughs) It's just crazy what the Lord was doing. And um, we turned up to the revival. One of the leaders of the revival is, is stood outside. We get connected with him. And for whatever reason, he decides to walk us past the line, round the back door, and into the main sanctuary where everything's going on. And I'm like, Lord, I'm so impatient. Thank you for your grace that I get to queue jump, because <laughs> I hate queuing up. I may be English, but I hate queues. Um, now, I mean, just to interrupt you there, yeah, just to give you guys like context for that, um, one, of, one of the core values of the way they're stewarding the space is radical humility. They explain their core values every single day to the, to the group that's gathered there, radical humility. And one of the things, one of the ways that's expressed is you really don't know who's leading. You're, you're not really sure who's leading. Um, they rarely introduce themselves. Um, and there's no special seating. There's no reserve seating. There's no special section. There's no VIP passes. There's, there's none of that. So I have... You know, I have ministry friends, and and I know of of people in ministry who have, like, uh, incomparably larger platforms or or realms of influence than me who who would have showed up, stood in line for eight hours, and not even gotten in the building. I mean, so there is no special treatment there. I heard about people who, significant leaders who, who came up to the front of the stage and said, hey, I think I have a word. And I said, sorry, it doesn't work that way here. This is about the young people. Come on. So there so what he's explaining there that would maybe make sense in in most contexts, but for what we showed up into it doesn't make sense. I mean, I remember leaving Asbury and turning on social media and seeing some of my ministry friends again who have who have bigger platforms than me, pictures from line. <laughs> like they're showing like, look what God's doing in Asbury. Like they're, they're like three hours from the doors. You know what I mean? Look what God's doing. Anyway, go ahead. That's so good. And, you know, in the room, it was just incredible. And we got to even spend time with some of the leaders who are overseeing the revival. And as Joe said, that was just, it didn't happen. Um, I, I still to this, you know, I, as I was coming back from Asbury and even chatting to you and Stacy the other day, the only explanation I can come up with why we got that unprecedented access is because he wants to do it here as well. 
Come on, why would, why would a group of people from Europe who are contending for revival and young people get unprecedented access into it if God didn't want to give us the DNA and the download for what he wanted to do here? Come on, somebody. I believe that God is going to do it. He's, he's been answering our prayers. Oh, guys, and I just, you know, this isn't about a one-person thing. This isn't about an individual getting access. This is about your prayers. Showing up at 9.30 every Sunday contending for a move. And God is just moving the chess pieces on the board to make this thing happen. I mean, even the ramp conference itself being rescheduled for this coming weekend. Can't you see the fingerprint of God over this thing? And what was really, I mean, if I'd needed any more convincing that God wanted to do it here, one of the um, major keys that we picked up um, from the guys who were overseeing the revival was um, this, this thing doesn't happen by accident. This thing happens through a lot of prayer. And a lot of the leaders that we spoke to had been in deep, consistent, long prayer for years. The professors at the university. You just won't hear about that because they're not trying to get that message out there. And so that was one of the things that gripped my heart was this travailing prayer, this contending prayer, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. But I wanted to share this testimony because when I landed back and I finally got in my car to drive up from Heathrow, I decided just to give myself just to contend in prayer just in this time that I'm driving for the young people in this, in this nation. God, awaken hearts in this nation. God, awaken young people in this nation. Just crying, just weeping in my car, contending for God to do something here in England. And when I arrived at my destination, I realized that somebody had sent me a message on Instagram whilst I was praying. Would you like to hear what they said? They said, hey, mate, I just wanted to say a massive thank you for your preach that you did last year at our summer youth festival. Me and a friend of mine were there. My friend was really doubting her faith and turning to earthly things to try and fill the gap that God has for her. However, she's just messaged me this morning and said that she was reading her notes from the summer youth festival last year. She was drawn to your preach. And the first thing she read on the page was, God loves you. And in that moment, she felt the love of God pour out on her. That was happening whilst I was praying. Again, this is not about me. This is not about any particular person. I felt like that was a sign to me, to us, to us as a community, that our prayers are making a difference. They're not just going up into this atmosphere and doing nothing. They're going to a hearing, loving, knowing God who wants to move in our nation. He wants to move in Europe. And if there's anything that I could impart, I believe in impartation, all that kind of stuff. You can't impart hunger for God. We've got to get hungry in this room. We are hungry already, but we've got to keep contending, keep going after prayer. And uh, we'll talk a bit more about Trevain in prayer in a minute. So, um, isn't that incredible? So, I want to highlight a couple things I think are important for us. And the first thing I want to highlight is um, this, the centrality of the younger generation in this. And I, if, you've been, if you've been hanging around Ram Church, you, you've heard me say this before. 
but I'm, I'm going to get this even put greater conviction in me to keep saying this, that the next move of God is in the hearts of the young generation. And, um, you know, some of you are at the age, you're, you're looking at me, you're going, well, you're, you're, you look 12, you know. <laughs> um, so I'm, <laughs> that clean shave, yeah. So, so I mean younger than me. I mean younger than me. I already know too much to get in God's way. And so I want to do two things with that reality. The first thing I want to do is, I, I, I'm, I'm, and I'm going to keep doing this, I'm going to call the young generation to unusual levels of seeking. Unusual levels of seeking. I love this verse um, in Lamentations 3. I've been living in Lamentations 3 for so, for so long. Lamentations 3.25 says this, The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Uh, going back to verse 25, I love that it says, the Lord's good to those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him, and not the soul who finds him. Because I, I, I think that the only time God's good is when I find him. But the promise of Lamentations 3 is that, the, is that God's goodness is found by those who seek, not by those who find. And we will find, I'm not saying there's no finding. But if you can get your heart posture set on seeking, determined to seek, God's promise that you will find. But finding is his part, seeking is your part. And so I, I just want to just press that deeply in, into our young people. The, what God wants to do for all of us and all of us is coming through your life your heart, your consecration, your dedication, your commitment to God. And the next group of people I want to talk to is everybody who's not young. <laughs> and that's most of the people in this room. And tonight I'm going to speak mainly to the young at our, at our second location on Oxford Road. But that, that's, that's to us adults. At one point um, during Asbury, there, I was trying to save some seats next to me for, for part of our crew that was in another space. And um, you don't really save seats in an environment like that. <laughs> it's just like, what do you say to people like, I'm, you know, there's people who are going to come. And there's like, there's like lines outside. And most of the stewards in the building, most, almost all the altar workers, gray hair. And a gray-haired steward came up to me and said, are, are these seats available and I said, well, you know, some people are coming. He said, no, we need to make space for the young. That's what he told me. We need to make space for the young. And one of the things that I want us to be, Ramp Church, the older generations, I want us to have the heartbeat that says, no, we're making space for the young. That's not just an event. But that's the posture of our lives. We're making space for the young. What does it look like? I just love that metaphor of the young people are leading this and the stewards aren't the young people. The stewards are us old folks 
who are creating this environment, facilitating a space for what God's doing through the younger generations. And here's what I know in Ramp Church. I'm not talking about the young enough until I have people start coming up to me. Some of you have done this and say, hey, I'm, I'm not young. It, is it okay for me to be in this church? <laughs> you talk about young people all the time. Like, am I too old to be here? Until I start hearing that a lot, I know I'm not talking about the young people enough. Because that's how much our hearts need to be turned to the next generation. And most of our ministry spaces, I have an end in mind. It's like I'm guiding everything to that space. And I think that's okay. But this was not that. In many ways, what the adults were doing is they were protecting the young people from other adults. <laughs> other agendas. Others, we've got this figured out. Others, we've been here before. But what does it look like for us to turn our hearts to the, to the next generation in, in empowerment? And us believing in what God's put in them. And we go, well, my life's not finished yet. What? Mine, mine's not either. But I think the rest of my life is going to be found in serving the next generation. And here's the thing about that. One of the reasons that's hard is not just because it's no longer about me anymore. Our youth group is not just less not like babysitting for real church in here. It's not just because it's not about me anymore. It's... It's, it's because it requires a level of maturity out of us adults that we don't have to have when everything that happens in Ramp Church is about us. I know this is hard to hear, but I'm trying to say yes to God in this place too, okay? I'm in the same place. Because this is what happens when the attention turns away from me. I've got to figure out a way to meet my needs. But we know what maturity is. Maturity is this. Maturity is when I'm able to sustain fulfilling my own needs so that then I can focus on caring about someone else's needs. That's maturity. This works even in our biological maturity, doesn't it? Our, our body tells us we're mature when we're able to reproduce. What's our body telling us? You're ready to take care of someone else now. It's hardwired into our biology. It's not, maturity is not just about growing taller and shaving, right? Maturity is about you, you are able to reproduce, meaning you are able to care for someone else's needs. So that puts weight on me because now I've got to know how to care for my own needs. Now, all of us go through seasons where, man, I wouldn't make it unless someone else helped me, okay? I, I am huge on community. We talked about it a few weeks ago, two weeks in a row. I am huge on community. So this is not about self-sufficiency, but it is about that push. Anybody feeling pressure right now as I'm saying this? Okay, that's a good pressure. I want you to feel that pressure. I felt that pressure when, when I found out we were pregnant with our first. I say we. Stacy was pregnant, okay? I was not pregnant. But I was like, Lord... Really? Really? I'm going to have to care for something else? I barely have my own thing figured out. Well, apparently God thought I could. Apparently it's not about feeling ready. Anybody ever feel ready to parent? Like, I got this down. Put another human life in my hands. Yes, Lord. You don't feel ready. You become ready. Does that make sense? You make yourself ready. You say yes to the responsibility, and there's something about the weight of responsibility that makes you grow into that place. It's maturity. 
Uh, the other reason we don't, we, we resist this sometimes, this is hard and heavy. Is that okay? It's going to get easier in a second, okay, when the Holy Spirit gets involved. Right now I'm just putting pressure on you. I'm just telling you what God's telling me, okay? We're in this together. But God reminded me of Judges chapter 6, which I heard Micah spoke on last week. If you haven't heard that message um, last, last Sunday night, go, go to our podcast. It's in our podcast. Gideon. God calls Gideon, who is a young man. He's the youngest in his family. He's the least in his family. Okay? He's a young man. One of the reasons we know he's a young man is because he's still living at, at, his, at his parents' house. The dude is living at his parents' house, and God calls him to go lead an army against against. Israel. He's like, wait, wait a second. Huh? God calls him in that place. He didn't feel ready. He didn't feel ready. But do you know what? You know what? You want? You know his first act of obedience towards God was to destroy his dad's idols. One of the reasons we also don't like our kids when God uses our kids is because sometimes the things we care about start getting sacrificed. You know what wasn't at Asbury? Lights. Smoke, <laughs> words on the screen, comfortable programs, flashy websites, hipster preachers. Come on. Because all the stuff I like when I come to church, no, they, they broke that up and burned it. Do you know what else as Gideon was sacrificing his father's idols? You know what he used? Do you know what he placed on top of the sacrifice? His dad's bull. He didn't even sacrifice his own bull. <laughs> so, yes, Lord, I'm going to serve you. Here's all the things I've worked for. What do you say? That's my dad's. <laughs> you know what the Lord told me? You're going to resource this. Not only is the way is the things you love and all your traditions and the way you pray and the things the things you like about church not only are they going to sacrifice that but you're going to pay for them to do it. Cuz they don't have the money. We we take up offerings in our youth church cuz giving's important but like 4 pounds comes in. Okay? Our youth service is not self-sufficient financially, folks. And neither is Asbury. They didn't pay a price for that. They didn't build that university. Generations past built that university. But the platform has been built by older generations so they can stand on that and do what God's called them to do without fear of what's going to happen. And something's got to shift in us. It, something's got to shift in me. Where even as I'm thinking ahead to what God wants to do through us, my imagination is not furnished by my own needs and wants and preferences. But my imagination is furnished by what can they have that they need from God. Sometimes that starts in your own life with what do I wish I had? What would have kept me off that path that I went on? Or what would have kept me on the path that I needed? Sometimes it starts there with your own story. But all of it is about this posture Towards the next generation. And here's what I want, here's what I want you to know. When, when your preferences start getting messed up, that doesn't need to be an, an, an indication that you're in the wrong place. It needs to be an indication that you're in the right place. Maybe they've broken up what was important to me 
But it's because it needed to be sacrificed for what God wants to do through them. The victory they're going to lead us all into. And you know that's what Gideon ultimately did. He led Israel into a victory for the whole, that the whole nation experienced. So every generation experienced the victory, but Gideon led the army. That's exactly how I see this. So when, I, when we come to the ramp next week, ne- next weekend, there's going to be loud and dancing. And, you know, most of the time I'll just want to stand there with God in my arms like this. <laughs> just like, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. You know, I mean, that's what I want to do. But if, if, I, if they are leading me, then I submit to their leadership. Let that sink in for a minute. I submit to what God's the Holy Spirit in them and what God's doing through them. So it demands our maturity. And maturity means for all of us, we need to take responsibility for our own well-being. And let me just give you a practical that. One practical is if the only like sermon or Bible study you're getting every week is Sunday morning here, that's, that's not enough for you to then turn your attention to the next generation. You need to be listening to podcasts. You need to be, I, I was in a pastor's retreat a few weeks ago, and N.T. Wright, who's probably the foremost New Testament scholar in the world right now, he's, we were just talking about preaching. It was church leaders asking about preaching. And he said one of his greatest concerns is there is no possible way that the body of Christ, the people of God, can mature into a place where they can be transformational in our cities through one sermon a week. He said it's impossible. Acts chapter 6, the disciples had to choose. What are we going to do? Are we going to serve the needs of our community pastorally and even physically? Or are we going to devote ourselves to the word? And they they chose the word. Because the word is ultimately what matures a people. We've got to be in the book. We've got to take this thing seriously. Not just because you need it, but because I need it for them. Do you see the shift there? Do you see the shift there? Um, But another thing is prayer. And so, what, why don't you intro this next, this next space yeah, for us? Yeah, great. So, we're going to spend some time praying as a community. And um, one of the passages that I like to highlight is Joel 2.28, which is obviously, many of us will be familiar with that. Uh, I think, hopefully, it might come up on the screen, Joel 2.28. Um, and it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Many of us know that scripture. Not many of us know Joel 2, 12 and 13 and 15 and 17. The scriptures that precede the promise. I'm going to pay a heavy price for what's going to come. A, a university professor at Asbury that we had the privilege of meeting who gave himself to tra- travail in prayer from 2015 till this moment in 2023. And he was determined that not one person would see his face on the stage or hear his name. Because even though he paid the price for it, he didn't want to receive the reward for it. And that hit me hard. Because many of us want revival, but we want to lead it. We want revival, but we want people to know that we prayed for it. That we sacrificed for it. That we gave for it. Jesus said we need to not let the hands know what each other's doing. 
there's an operation in secret that we need to take up. And uh, I also wanted to challenge men in this as well. There's a lot of men who've been allowing their women to do all the praying in their house and all the worship in their house. I'm not doing that. We can't do that, guys. And we all know it as well. We've got to let the Lord gently put his finger on that in our life and say, what price are you willing to pay? Because this is what it says in Joel 2.12. Now, therefore, says the Lord. Remember, this is before he pours out his spirit on all flesh. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. Just skip to verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. We heard a message about trumpet a few weeks ago. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Many of us are living our Christian lives with fingers pointed out to the world about the way that they're living. We need to let God point his finger at us. Sanctify the congregation. God, start with me. Break up my fellow ground. And so um, I, I just felt like we were meant to go into a time of travailing prayer. And, and, and this guy who was talking about has written a book about sowing for a great awakening. And, and basically this book is about travailing prayer. And uh, yeah, great. I wanted to read out a portion from this guy's book so that we can really carry this thing. Because I believe that God wants to birth something through Ramp Church in our young people. But it's going to require us to carry something which, which costs, which can be painful, which can be demanding. But the promise is life to come. Amen? The promise is afterward. After what? Fasting, weeping, mourning, prayer. He's going to pour out his spirit on this nation. So let's just get in a posture of receiving. Uh, if while I'm reading this, you feel provoked, you feel uh, that God is stirring something in you, what I would advise is just allow that to happen. Allow the Lord to just gently begin to birth something in you. A cry for the next generation. A cry to intercede. A cry for prayer. Don't worry about the people around you. Don't worry about the way you look. Sometimes this, this kind of thing needs to get a little bit ugly. Don't worry if something's bubbling up on the inside of you. Just allow the Lord just to impress his heart for the next generation on you. Here's what he says. He, he talks about, um, he took a trip over to the Hebridean revival, which I think is significant that he came over to the UK, caught something and went back. And then we're coming over to the America, <laughs> catching something and bring it back. He interviewed people who were involved in the Hebridean revival. And they all said the revival was birthed through travailing prayer. All of them. Two eight-year-old women. One of them was blind. But even she could see how revival was meant to come. Through travailing prayer. And he said this. It's quite long, so just bear with me. But just, just allow the Holy Spirit to move. If you want to begin to pray as I'm even speaking, you can do that. But... 
He said, ever since I looked into the eyes of those people who once saw what we so passionately want to see, I've come to believe that the true seedbed of awakening is the plowed up hearts of men and women willing to receive the gift of travail. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Psalm 126 verse 5. That prayer, the precursor to the work of God, always the preparatory, anticipating act of awakening is not a new idea. But this may be a type of praying that has been lost. Not in Christian communities of Asia or Africa or Latin America, but somehow forgotten in the West. This was the praying of the Hebrews who cried out and groaned in their slavery, Exodus 2.23. And God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant. This was the prayer of Hannah for a child, overcome to the point of being misunderstood as intoxicated by her petitions. I have not been drinking wine or beer, she said. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. 1 Samuel 1.15 Hezekiah took his desperation to the temple and spread it out before the Lord. 2 Kings 19.14 We have no power to face this vast army, Jehoshaphat cried out, but our eyes are on you. 2 Chronicles 20.12 When he heard the news of Jerusalem's brokenness, Nehemiah sat down and wept, then fasted and prayed for days, Nehemiah 1.4 Guys, I was was reading this list. He almost covered every single person who prayed in the Bible. And I started to wonder whether this type of prayer is not crazy. Whether this isn't crazy, this is actually true prayer. True biblical prayer. A prayer that moves God is a prayer that moves you. This is what he continued to write. This is the prayer of the prophets. That we give God no rest. Isaiah 62, 7. And guys, it just goes on and on and on. Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees to pray for relief from drought. 1 Kings 18.42 Scholars say it was the posture of a woman giving birth. Daniel 9.3 says he turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition for Jerusalem. This is the praying of the Psalms. Streams of tears flowed from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Psalm 119. Day and night I cried out before you. Psalm 88. Listen to my cry, for I'm in desperate need. Psalm 142. This was the praying of Jesus himself, who offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him. Hebrews 5, 7. There is no deeper view of the heart of Jesus than Gethsemane, where the agony of prayer drew the first blood of the atonement. This is the praying of the early church, cleaving to one another in expectancy before Pentecost, earnestly praying to God for Peter in prison, Acts 12. Travail. The Bible seems utterly unfamiliar with casual prayer. Prayer of the mouth, but not of the heart. Travail, a kind of burdened, focused pressing, seems closer to the throbbing core of prayer in Scripture. Tertullian considered prayer a kind of holy violence to God. 
Origen said in the second century, he believed that to weeping and weeping alone will God pay attention. So are we willing to weep, Ramp Church? Are we willing to fast for the next generation? Are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to move out of our comfortability to take on God's intercessory burdens? So Holy Spirit, come and move our hearts. Shake us from compromise. And give us your burdens. Give us your heart. And break our heart for what breaks yours. If you need to move out of your seat, if you need to kneel, just begin to do that now. And say, God, give me your heart. Give me a heart. Make me a house of prayer. Make us a house of prayer for many nations. Give us your heart, Lord. Move us. Convict us. Shake us. Where we as men have allowed our women to do all the praying, we repent, Lord. We repent, Lord. We come before you. We come before you, Jesus. I want to read out a prayer that was prayed at Asbury. Forgive us for tolerating the talented who have no walk with you. The gifted who have voices of angels, but none of the angels know them. Forgive us for overlooking the flaws in the character of preachers, talented communicators and worship leaders, when the best thing for them is to sit down and be with you. But we prop them up in our buildings and use them to draw crowds. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for our comfortability. Forgive us for our cynicism. Forgive us for our prayerlessness. Forgive us for our casualness. Give us your heart, Lord Jesus.